Will you stand with us? I'm going to read uh, the scripture for us, and I recognize we're going to be sitting for a while. I'd like you to stand. I've got scripture today. As we talked, this series is a three-week series on the core values of what Bethany believes we want our people to kind of value here. Last week, Pastor Ruth talked about growth happens in small groups. You got to belong somewhere, or else this is just a TED Talk with some good music, right? You got to belong. And then today, I'll be talking about go, that we as God's people are called to go on a mission of impacting others as God impacts us. Next Sunday, I'll talk about gather, that the Sunday gathering matters. Today, I'll be preaching through a great story from the book of 1 Samuel, the, the uh, story of David and Goliath. So I'm excited about sharing this with you. First uh, Samuel 17, some verses here. Now the Philistine gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka and Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Dephiim between Soka and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of them. Goliath stood and shouted to the rakes of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. We're going to jump to 26. David has traveled to, to serve his brother's food. David is a boy, no more of 13, 14 years old. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should sort of defy the armies of the living God? And then we're going to jump to verse 32. David said to Saul, the king, Let no one whose heart, on account of this Philistine, your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued it from the sheep of its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it. I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. Call out verse 37 in your text. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bear in front of him, kept coming closer and closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog? You come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give 
the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. And he struck down the Philistine and killed him. This message today is called Ready to Go, Slaying Giants with God's power. Will you grab a seat and say to someone around you, let's go slay a giant. Grab a seat, turn to somebody, let's slay a giant. We're going to do this. We're going to do this in 33 minutes. I promise you. I promise. Ready to go. Slaying giants with God's power. Ready to go. Week two of our core values. This is the value of go that we actually are forged by participation. I don't know, a lot of you are, are, not all of you, some of you are parents in the room, and you had, you know, back to school week in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Shoreline started what, like July 15th? Is that what it felt like in Shoreline? Uh, Edmonds, we started a bit later, but my little guy started kindergarten, and he's been pumped. He's been excited. He's felt prepared. He's, you know, done the Montessori. He's done the pre-K. He's done this. He's done that. You know, he's, he's watched older kids go. It's his turn to go. He's known it. And yet the night before... The night before, as I'm laying and praying with him and looking into his eyes, and I ask him this question, Scott, are you ready to go? Are you ready? I mean, I, th- I think I know the answer. He's been preparing for, you know, the first five years of his life. But in the midst of the present challenge, all of his readiness falls flat. No, he said, I'm not ready at all. I said, why? He's like, well, there's a big bus coming tomorrow, and I'm going to have to get on that bus. It is kind of a weird concept, right, that we just kind of send there. Hey, good luck. We don't know the bus driver. I think I know where they're going. (laughs) What's the point? So often, in the midst of our present challenges, our readiness falls flat because our challenges bring fear. And this is a thing. Like, this is a thing for us as Christians as we make a turn to the text. It's easier for us to see the size of our problems instead of the steadfastness of our God. Like it's so easy, myself included, to get caught in this trap of seeing the size of our problems. The size of the yellow bus coming tomorrow. The size of the bill that's on our desk. The size of the, 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 the relationship that's in distress. Or the, the vocational challenge. Or the loneliness. Or the anxiety. Or the depression. Like we know what we feel. And we measure what God will do Oftentimes, if you're like me, not by the size of our God, but by the size of our problems. And this is a problem if we're going to be a church on mission, ready to go. Because we've got to start redefining our readiness. Not by the absence of problems, because it's not in the scriptures. You will not have a problem-free life. Let's go ahead and slay that Goliath right now. That evangelical Christianity sold some of you a lie. And said it'll be easy. Says there'll never be loneliness. Says that every Goliath will fall. You went to the youth camp. You heard the message. You said yes. And you signed up for the easy program. And somebody didn't tell you the truth. Okay, how do I know? Because there's disciples of Jesus Christ in this room that have scars. We've been gutted. We've held Babies without breath in their lungs. We've, we've held on to people that passed far too soon. We've seen those we love, ourselves included, carry massive loads of emotional insecurity. 
And so we're just done with that narrative that as Christians we won't hurt. It's not in the text anywhere. But God says that we are ready to go by his power, not our own. By, by, by his size, not the absence of any Goliaths in our life. And I, and I, I want to... I want to thank a pastor on the East Coast, a guy named Louis Giglio. He wrote a book called Goliath Must Fall. He gave some talks about it. It really impacted me in the last month. And so I want to say thanks for that because his ideas really impacted the message today. But church, I want you to know as a church, you are ready to go only with the power of Christ and not ourselves. We're not, we're not good to go, that, that phrase, well, I'm good to go. No, we're not made ready to go in a life of mission when we're good enough but only when we're faithful to what God wants to do in us. This is a church. You are a people. You know how to go. I, I could ask any one of you to stand, and I will tell you, I mean, I'm just looking around the room. I know your stories. I, I, I know your story, serving people at, on Aurora, addicted people. How many thousands of people have you served, Kay? Week, 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 week. Like, you serve You've gone, you've went, you've held babies, you've started mops, you've, you've had a huge legacy. This church, you've done it, you've done it, I've seen it. It's been amazing. But if we're going out of our strength and, and not refueling on the source of God's power in our life, I fear for the worst. That we just become another human group of people trying really hard to impact other people. Now the church has effectiveness when we go with God's power, not our own. Ready to go. Let's look at the first point of your outline, that we are ready to go because there are Goliaths in the land. If you look over, I'm not going to read it again, if you look over at the first 11 verses of 1 Samuel 17, you see the reality that there's, there's Goliaths in the land. Throughout the Old Testament, every time Israel's ready for a conflict-free existence, there's giants in the land, there's opposition, there's, there's forces coming to, to, to Im, imprison and, and oppress, and constantly the people of Israel, though they're in the, on their way to the promised land or in the promised land, they face hard times. And, and like I've already said, like a teaching point for you as a church is we've got to look to the power of your God and not to the size of your giants. I, 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 cannot, I cannot stress this enough. That if we think that worship happens in the absence of conflict, in the absence of anxiety, in the absence of Goliaths, we're fooling ourselves. And we'll say, my worship will wait for another day. Today, I've got a Goliath to slay. No, no. We are called as a church to look to the power of the God, not the size of our giants. When Jesus called us on mission, look at Matthew 28 with me. Jesus says, therefore go. Go and make disciples. It's the commandment. We're called to make disciples, to be a church on movement, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Obedience matters. The commands matter. Jesus doesn't say go and tell people I love them and let them just throw their life away into addiction and into drinking and tell them I don't really care if they're depressed or anxious. Just go and, and treat people kindly. No, Jesus says go and make disciples. And teach him to obey. And, and, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We have the presence of God that's, that's given to us as a promise as we go. In our going. It's a present verb. In our going, Jesus says, I'm with you even more. And the early church remembered this. Acts 1.8. 
Jesus says again, you'll receive power. So we have the presence of God. We have the power of God. You'll receive power. You will. It's a declaration in the lives of disciples. You will receive power when the Spirit comes on you. When, when will the Spirit come on me? When I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and open up my heart. Say, Jesus, I want to drink from the well. May your Spirit live in me. The Spirit of God in me is what gives me any power. It's God's power, not my own. We will, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's a whole different message about witness because we don't like the word much. Those of us that were raised in the 70s and 80s and 90s that witness was a track and to step into your school and to ask a kid that you have pre-calculus with, do you know where you're going to go tomorrow if you die? And the guy's like, dude, I'm just trying to do pre-calculus, like lay off, right? Like, so we're nervous about witness. Hey, your life witnesses. It does. What you say, less important than how you behave. You know that's core theology here. What you believe certainly matters. Orthodoxy matters a great deal. But orthopraxy, how you live out the beliefs of God, witnesses. Witnesses. Are you a Sounders fan or a Seahawks fan or a Mariners fan? Lord help you if you're a Mariners fan. I'm sorry. I, I bear your pain with you. But if you're a fan, like... It witnesses. You went to a game this year. You, you followed the standings this year. You have, a, you have a jersey or you have a pennant. Like we had, like do kids still have pennants? No? I, like we had pennants growing up. Like your life witnesses of what you love and appreciate. So if you love and appreciate God, your life is already witnessing to that. If you're a slave to a giant in your life, you may be witnessing that to the people around you, to your roommates to your spouse, to somebody you're dating, to your children? Are you set free in the, in the presence of God and the promise of power? We, we're called to live in that as we go. And, and like I already said, there are Goliaths in the land. We're going to slay that old narrative that as a church we maybe won't have struggles. It's, it was unfortunately part of the, the faith narrative that I reacted to a great deal because it didn't seem consistent with the world. No, there are problems. Look at Jeremiah 1, 79, when Jeremiah the prophet, also a young man, if you're a young person in the room under the age of 20, guess what? You are right in the midst of effectiveness for God to use you in your life. You are right in the midst of where God might use you. Most people have determined what they believe about God by the time they're 20. And so if you're under the age of 20, and some of us are just really close, right? We're like really close to that cutoff of 20. Yeah, no. Uh, under 20, good news. You're right in the midst of effectiveness for God. Jeremiah says this. Get yourself ready, God says to the prophet Jeremiah. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Kind of scary. Today I've made you a fortified city. This is God speaking to Jeremiah the prophet. An iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the land. They will fight against you, but they'll not overcome you. For I'm with you and I will rescue you. There's rescue in the fight. There's not an, there's not an absolution of any battles. No, they'll come against you. You're going to have people come against you, God says. That, that's going to happen. That's absolutely going to happen. You will be, you'll have situations come against you. You will struggle. You, you, will, you will face loneliness you will face times where God feels far. You will struggle, but God says, they will not overcome you from with you, and I will rescue you. And so we go because there are Goliaths in the land. And it's something I say quite often that, that the best rides at the theme park, the best rides are reserved for the front of the roller coaster. Right? 
Like Disneyland, Magic, like anyone been to a theme park in the last year? Okay, yes, the two of us. The rest of you need to get to a theme park. I recognize, what do we have in Washington? Enchanted Village doesn't really count, but the best rides are reserved for those that sit in the front of the roller coaster. That's why the longest lines are there. It's also scariest because you don't have the safety of people going in front of you. We have, we have front of the roller coaster people in this church. Absolutely, I see that. One of the places where I'm seeing that happen right now is, is families in this community that say yes to fostering. And we've talked about it before. It's a small thing in this church. I don't want to overcommit, but I do want to highlight that for all the foster children in America, if every church in America were to adopt one foster kid and to foster, fostering system would disappear completely in America. And so this church, we have a few families. We had one or two, and over the last year, I think it's now four or five families saying yes totally front of the roller coaster people. And what's very cool is for some of us, like, well, I can't do that. But we've had other people in church support them. Small groups that have adopted some of these families to bring meals or provide childcare. We had deacons in the church remodel a bathroom as one family was getting ready to bring a foster child into their home. They're just, it's one example. We could highlight any of them. The best rides for those that sit in the front of the roller coaster were called to go because there's real challenges in the land. There's hungry people. There's kids without parents. There's addicted friends. There's loneliness. The second thing I want to say about this under this first point of Goliath in the land is there's this mission of our own life that's really important. When David enters the valley of Elah, they've got Goliath and the Philistines on one side, Saul's army, the Israelites on the other, and Goliath is like screaming through the valley. Like, ah, you know, he's taunting God. And we can read that, and that can feel very distant. But I, I, I know, friends, for so many of us, that the new battleground is in, is in our own heart. When we say that the gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth, for some of us in the room, that means my own heart, my own mental state. And it's really, really scary, the amount of anxiety that is a church that we suffer from, the amount of depression and fear. They're real Goliaths in this land. And some of you have been fighting for so long that the victory is in doubt. Like you don't even know how to have hope in the power of God because you've been enslaved by this fear over and over and over again. God God sees you this morning and wants to speak into that battle and knows it's not going to be necessarily ended quickly, but God's power and his presence is with you. Do not give up hope. There are Goliaths in the land. And we can sit through a message like this and say, well, he's not really talking about my Goliath. He's talking about people on Aurora. I'm talking about the things in your life you're facing this morning. One of, one of my friends, he's one of the preaching pastors of Bethany. He's the lead pastor of Bethany West Seattle. Uh, he's, he's heartbroken right now because a good friend of his from California, a pastor, recently took his own life. A pastor who was struggling with depression, as so many people do. A pastor who took six months sabbatical to get right. A pastor who came back from sabbatical and did a three-week series on depression. And between week two and three, ended his own life. And now leaves behind a widow and small kids. And so if, if you don't think the Goliaths you're facing are real or, or have power to destroy you, they do. And if you're in the room this morning struggling with depression, anxiety, mental illness, you're not alone. Like your Savior knows your journey and he's with you. And you need people around you to help carry your load. You do. That's what Ruth talked about last week. That a church that's disconnected from relationships is no church at all. Growth happens when you can tell your story one to another. We're here for you as pastors and staff. 
We have deacons. We have leaders in the church that would love to talk with you if you're struggling. It's a very real problem. Depression, anxiety, suicide. Number one killer of, of teens in our state, suicide. One of my friends, John McSwain, police officer, number one killer of cops in America last year, suicide. So it's a big deal. Celebrities, look, I mean, we get it. It's a big deal. So we can talk a lot about, hey, go, I need somebody to bake muffins for Tuesday morning so we can serve people on Aurora. But for many of us, the real going needs to be in places of our own heart that have been given over to despair. God sees you. He wants to lead you to restoration. There are Goliaths in the land. He's present this morning. The second thing that comes out of this text is that we're ready to go, not from our power, but because God is powerful and we have access to that. We have access to real power in God. And the thing about this David story that's so remarkable is over and over again, David is not claiming his own power, but God's faithfulness in his life. David says, I, I, I'm going to go and I'm going to slay this Goliath because, because God is powerful. And then Saul dresses him up in his armor. Do you, do you see that? Where Saul, who is, we know from earlier in Samuel, Saul is the biggest man in Israel. He's a big, strong man. He's got all the trappings of success, but he doesn't actually trust God. So God removes his favor from him because, remember, God doesn't look like we look. He's not looking for the biggest, the strongest. Goliath's slaying isn't to look like Saul. It's to look more like David, a 14-year-old boy. So Saul dresses him in armor. David's like, I can't even move in that. Slaying Goliath is an imitation. It's, it's your real pursuit of Christ. Ephesians 2 says this, that God raised us up with Christ Jesus. This is this power of God that we have access to. It's, we have access to it. We've got to make draws on the power of God. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 2, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, in his kindness to us. In Christ Jesus, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in, in advance for us to do. So what are, we, what are we saying here? Look at verse 7. In the coming ages, he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. That as, as, as we make draws on the power of God in the coming ages, in the future, that whatever he's done for us as the draws of power in the Goliaths we face, that we actually become witness that, that God has done something. That we were ready to go, not by our power, but God's power in us. And in the coming ages, he would show the riches of his grace in his kindness to us. You become the sermon analogy. You become part of the story. As you make draws on the power of God that he wants to give you, not in the absence of Goliath, as you step into challenges, God, give me your power. Give me your presence that you become witness to what God will do out in the future. That doesn't work well for so many of us because we want the Goliath to fall and then we'll go. And I'm all, I like being part of a sermon, a sermon story, great, but tell me it's going to end well before I step into this story. But Paul says, no, no, no. That it's in his riches that he showers on us. It's as we go with a posture of receiving his power that we become the story. And this is David. Look at verse 37. I think we have this slide called out. The Lord, says David, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I don't think we have that slide. That's okay. 
Like verse 37 in your Bible. You brought your Bible. Bring your Bibles, right? Where's your Bible? You, know, you should know where your Bible is. Bring it to church. Verse 37. The Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear. He'll rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And then Saul said, go, the Lord be with you. I've been preaching go for seven years. Go, make muffins. There's hungry people on Aurora. Thousand people a day addicted to heroin and oxy. We serve them muffins a couple times a month. And we tell them that God's not giving up on them. Make muffins. Go. We had 240 kids in church yesterday. After church today, you see in your bulletin, we have a volunteer sign-up table. We need more people to hold babies. God's given us an anointing with children. We want you to with us. Go. I've been preaching that for eight years. And there will be a table after service. Because some of you might be like, yeah, I'm ready to go. All the power. All the power. All of it. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's his. It's the God who called you and made you in the midst of this battle. In the midst of this battle, he wants to do something in your life. In your life. So many of us, like, man, if you knew, if you knew, Scott, I've, I know this story. I know this story. I know this story. I've heard this story. I've got a big rock. How many times do we have to hear the David and Goliath story as kids? I can repeat this. I mean, I've been throwing stones my whole life. I'm tired of feeling anxious. I'm tired of feeling lonely. I'm tired of the doubts. I'm just going to throw rocks harder. And if I can throw big rocks, if I can knock that Goliath in his eyes, then I will slay the giant. It's not about me anymore. It's not about me. It's not about me. Say it, Paul. Say it's not about me. Not about me. Say it, Paul. Not about me. Not about me. Do you believe it, Paul? I do believe it. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not. Our effectiveness to go into this community will not be about our strength, our discipline, our willingness, our heart, our tables we volunteer at. They will be defined by the power of God in our life. Amen? There's this phrase that I like a lot when I meet with young men, mentoring them. There's this phrase I like, be a hero in your home. Be a hero. It's a phrase I picked up from Mark Batterson. Be a hero, not across the world, but in your own home. We can't go across the world and the people closest to us think we're a jerk. So it's the people closest to us that actually get to define our witness. It means our relationships with those closest to us need to be grounded in sacrifice and honesty and vulnerability. So be a hero in the home. I like that a lot. I read this book about being emotionally healthy as a church. And it told the story of Bob Pierce who started World Vision. Did amazing things for the kingdom of God around the world and destroyed his own family. And I've been kind of trying to live by this, like, let's be heroes in our own home. And I was with a friend who's in ministry staff, 
And we had lunch this week, and he was telling me the concern he has in his life for someone that he loves because we can't fix the ones we love. And he said he's been racked by, by trying to be a hero to this person that he loves. And he said, then, Scott, God gave me this really beautiful picture. I want to share it with you this morning, and I'd like to share it with you, the church. He said, instead of being a hero, I want to be held. I want to be held. Because every one of you in this room have been trying to throw stones at the Goliaths in your life. And this morning, your father, your heavenly father, wants to see yourself in his arms. You are held by a father who loves you. You are a child of the most high king. And your worship of him will give you power and presence. You are held. And I can get you to make muffins and I can get you to help with kids. But can I get you to put yourself in the arms of your loving father who loves you. He loves you, Evan, just the way you are. He loves you. Do you believe that? I know you do. He loves us. And so all of the power that we want access to, in all the battles we'll face, it all comes from posture receiving his love for us. Go from hero to held. That's where the power is. And finally, church, we're ready to go because we worship a God bigger than the giants we face. We worship a God bigger than the giants we face. And saying yes for so many of us from a challenge that God's putting in front of us that somebody you know, needs to be blessed and we're trying to figure out, do I, do I bring them into my home for a season? Do I, do I help them get a job? Do I mentor? Do I volunteer with church you know, once a month to just be in the classroom? Do I, like whatever I, I'm struggling with my yes because we are called to be people participating in the mission of God. For so many of us, we struggle with it for two reasons. One, for so many of us, we carry around in our own mind a false identity we're enslaved in an old story of a past failure or, or some sort of weakness. Like David shows up to the battle. He's 14. He doesn't have the right gear. But he has this confidence of who God is. And that gives him his power. And for some of you in this room this morning, you just need to just kill the Goliath of the old story. You're not a failure in God's eyes. You're not. He, he's, he's held you. He sees you. He loves you. Kill the old story. One of the best parts when we renovated the junction and, and it was the strip club and we moved in and we prayed over it and we turned it into a coffee shop in our office. One of the very best parts is the day we took down the mirrors, the building was so disgusting and so filled with the presence of evil. There is a presence in evil and there is a battle being waged for your heart and the stuff that you think about and the stuff you believe. There is a battle. Let's just, Satan wants you to believe that there's not a battle and wants you to be enslaved. Jesus wants to free you. One of the best parts of the, of the Sugar Strip Club remodel project our church undertaken is we, we tried to protect the mirrors because we were trying to be frugal economically. We were going to resell the mirrors, which just sounds like a bad idea, right? We're going to resell the mirrors from the strip club. Like, but it made sense in our mind because we thought there was real money there. And so we saved the mirrors. And we finally found out, yeah, nobody wants the mirrors from the strip club. What are we going to do? And Tom Parks and I, is Tom here this morning? Tom Parks and I went outside. Remember what we did, Tom? We grabbed a sledgehammer, started smashing mirrors. And it felt good, didn't it? Because we knew those mirrors had enslaved a ton of women in our culture. And that was one of the moments you and I worked together. It was one of the best moments of the whole project. Some of you need to smash a mirror in your life. 
Because there's an old narrative that's playing in your head and Jesus wants to free you from that this morning. Stop being enslaved by that. Because God wants to be defined by his size in your life, not the Goliaths you face. Look at verse 45 in your Bibles. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. David comes not believing that somehow because he's had past victories that he's done something great. He comes only dependent on the power of God and he knows that God is bigger. Somehow, he doesn't even know how yet. He knows that God is bigger than Goliath. You come against me with weapons, I come against you in the name of the Lord. I was reading Eugene Peterson, who's one of my favorite authors. He writes about this moment. He says, the moment we permit evil to control our imagination, to dictate the way we think and shape our responses, when we wake up in the morning, we feel like it's over. When we're depressed and anxious, and we no longer feel that Jesus can free me. When, we, when that happens, we at the same time become incapable of seeing the good and the true and the beautiful. Friends, the secret to more freedom from the giants we face lies in worship. And Jesus this morning is asking us to worship him in the midst of any battle we face. 2 Corinthians 3, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus wants you to be set free from an old narrative. Set free from being so enslaved by a challenge you face. However contextual it is. I don't know the Goliath in your mind this morning, but I know if your life is like mine, you're fighting battles. In the midst of the battle, says Jesus, you will find freedom from the giants you face, not in their absence, but in my presence. So worship me and find freedom. Find freedom freedom. That's what we're called to do. We're ready to go, not by the absence of conflict or because we're really powerful because we have a great vision. We're ready to go into the life that God has already set for us because of his power and presence, because we're going to find freedom in worshiping him. And, And we know that there will be a struggle this afternoon and tomorrow and the next week, but we will fight on. Some of our battles will resolve quickly and others will be fighting for our whole life. And I, friends, Wish I could explain why, and I just can't. But I know in the midst of those long battles, God has a special heart for you because he's, know he's known you've been fighting your best. Go. You're ready. Go back into your school. God is doing something there. You're under the age of 20. You're in the midst of effectiveness for God's kingdom. God is doing something there. Go back, church, into your marriage into your family, into your parenting, and know that your work matters a great deal to the kingdom of God. Go tomorrow morning back to Boeing or to Amazon or into your home, wherever your work takes you, and know that God can do something wonderful with you. Go and and help us as a church. Volunteer. Go see Raul after service and say, hey, I know it's not about my volunteerism, but I know this church needs some people. Go and know that God has made you ready. You're ready to go. You're ready. I took my kids at the end of the summer to just celebrate the end of summer and the beginning. All four of my kids starting new schools this year. It's a big bravery moment, big David moment in their life. And what I really was impressed upon and then impressed upon them is they're going into their schools not like many Davids, many supermen. They go in the presence of Christ. They go with God's power. And I, and I read for them First Samuel where, where Samuel is leading the nation of Israel. And remember what he says? He says, take a stone from the river and say, thus far, thus far, God has been present to me. Thus far, God has been powerful. And as a church, I think we'd be well served. Instead of just 
focus in on how many Goliaths we can slay with our own power and how many rocks we can throw and how big the stone is. All of our rocks need to be laid out in worship to him. May our lives be lived in worship to him. My kids were down at the, the beach at Seabrook and we, we all then went and found stones and we stacked them up like Ebenezer's, like a Karen when you're hiking to remember God is powerful. You're ready to go. Not because you won't feel lonely and struggles, but because he's powerful in your life. And so what I want to do right now, I want to call the band up. I want to pray in just a moment. But we've got stones here on the entryways and down front. And we're going to just take a moment as a church as we sing and close to worship a God bigger than any Goliath you face. Instead of you trying to sling more and bigger and face and win and not be lonely anymore and not struggle with addiction. more like this morning we're going to say thus far the Lord has been good to me. Thus far, the Lord has loved me. Thus far, the Lord has held me. And if that's true for you this morning as a church, if you want to worship in the midst of this battle you're facing, we've got stones here, we've got stones on the side, stones on the side. Come up as we sing and let's lay out our stones. Ebenezer's, thus far, God has been good to us. God has been faithful to us. And this is where our readiness comes from, ready to accept more of his power and presence in our life, more freedom from anything we face. We head back into the battle knowing he is already with us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, this declaration, your power in our life, your presence in our life. We want more freedom, Lord. We, we want less fear. We know there are very real battles being waged this moment in this room. Lord, we pray your spirit would be heavy in this room. We pray that you'd be opening up hearts in this room, laying down idols in this room, challenging Goliaths in this room. There's addiction in this room right now, Lord. Would you free us from places where we've been self-medicating instead of worshiping you? There's broken relationship in this room right now, Lord, between husband and wife, between friends, between mom and dad, between child and father. Lord, would you restore and renew in a covenant to you? Lord God, we have, we're in the midst of a journey. Nothing's done yet. And we absolutely still have Goliaths we're facing. But this morning, at this moment, we're saying, thus far you've been good to me. And so, God, if that's the story in our hearts, would you move us as a church now that as we respond in worship, we would stack our stone and say, amen, thus far, God has been good to me. And God is good to this church. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? And if this is your story, grab a stone and bring it anywhere up front. Stack them, lay them, do whatever you want. Let's worship the God that saves us in the midst of fighting any Goliath we face right now.